Thank you, Jordan and uh, worship team for leading us in celebration of our great God and who He is and the wonderful work that He is doing in our lives, I trust, and as evidence to the lives of others this morning. What a great time of celebrating we've had together this morning. And I particularly want to welcome uh, guests who have come, family and friends of those who are baptized uh, this morning. I know that your family and your friends appreciate you taking the time to be here and to witness this important step in their lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, if you come from no faith background or from another religious background, just wanted to make you aware of what we do now. This is where we open God's Word. And uh, God's Word, we believe, is truth. God's Word is where we go for all the answers for faith and life and practice uh, here at Calvary Baptist Church. And so when we take time to open God's Word, we are not simply communicating our opinions to you. We are declaring what we believe is true based on the Word of God. And so I just wanted to share that with you. And so we're just going to take a few minutes this morning to open God's Word, to read it together, and we're going to pray that God would speak to us and help us to understand His Word, because it's not meant to be a secret. And uh, so we're going to do that right now. I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to share God's Word together. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for giving us the health and strength to be here this morning. Thank You for allowing us to have the opportunity to praise You and to worship You. And so, God, now as we open your word, I thank you for your truth. Thank, thank you that it's reliable. Thank you that we can count on it. And I thank you for the wonderful beacon of light and direction that your word gives to us in our lives to know how to live as obedient followers of you. So I pray that you'd bless your word this morning. And I pray that you would use it to transform more people's lives as we've witnessed through the baptisms this morning. We love you. And we give you all the credit and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to talk to you for a few minutes on the significance and the importance of letters. Now, I understand that these days with the advancements in technology, and uh, there's a lot more means of faster, more effective, and more personal uh, avenues for communicating. Um, when I was overseas growing up, it's not like we could just turn on a screen and we could be part of a birthday party happening in Canada. But now I can dial a number and my brother in Lithuania, we can have a conversation. I can dial a number and my brother in Liberia, West Africa, we can have a conversation and my sister in Pennsylvania. It's incredible. So probably for most of us, letter writing is not something we do very much anymore. But I can remember two seasons of my life in particular where letters were of high significance and high value. And the first one was growing up as a missionary kid in Africa. And I still can picture my mom. She was so faithful. I would see her in the living room. Maybe I'd see her in the kitchen. If we were on vacation, she'd be getting uh, on the beach. As soon as she'd get there, she would write letters back to our family here in Canada on those blue aerogram sheets of paper. I don't know if you remember them. Um, if you're young like me, you probably don't. But uh, there were these sheets of paper that you didn't need an envelope. It was high tech in those days. And uh, you could write your letter, lick three sides, and your envelope's there, and off it goes. And I don't know how many hundreds of blue aerogram letters my mom wrote to our family back here in Canada, letting them know what's going on with our family and that we're safe. And I always remember she would get so excited when she'd go to the mailbox 
And there was a letter there from our relatives in Canada letting us know how they're doing. The second season where I remember letters were very important to me was the summer before Jen and I got married. I had uh, stayed out west at the university to work there in the summer, and that's where we met, was in British Columbia. But she had returned to her job in London, Ontario, because she had had a great job and they wanted her to come back, and so it didn't make any sense for her to stay in BC if she couldn't find employment. So she came back to London, Ontario, and I stayed in BC for that summer and worked on the grounds crew at Trinity Western University. And I can tell you there was a lot of ink spilt that summer. In fact, my wife has a shoebox at home. When we were moving to Oshawa from Whippy, I said, what is that? She said, these are all the letters you wrote me. And I went, was I crazy? Like, that's a lot of ink. I couldn't believe it. It was unbelievable. But it worked. We're married, and we celebrated our 19th anniversary this week. So praise the Lord. Yeah. But I can remember getting off the tractor and taking it, going to the gym, and that's when I was young and in shape, and then heading to my apartment, turning on the Jays game, and writing letters to Jen. And as I wrote that on my notes this morning, I said, really, that sounds pretty bad. I should have said, go to the apartment, write letters to Jen, and check in on the Jays. But it wasn't that way. I can also clearly remember in the summer, if you've been to university, you know there's always one main campus mailbox area. And uh, I always remember it was me and all the international students, because all the Canadian students had left. And uh, you would always go by your mailbox with hope and anticipation of seeing an, an envelope in your box. And for me, I was really looking forward to seeing an envelope with Jen's handwriting on it, because it just made my day. Now with email and texting, I have no clue how to do Facebook, so I don't do that. So email and texting, I honestly can't remember the last time I really wrote a letter other than the odd letter of recommendation um, for people who have asked me to be a reference for them. And uh, Arnold, I said to Katie this morning, because Katie Hicks wins the prize. I've probably written about eight for her in the last year. And uh, so if, if by chance one of your kids asks for a reference letter and it goes to the job they're applying for and they wonder why their name's Katie, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's my bad. But I said to Arnold a couple weeks ago, I said, that's it. I said, now you're going to start paying. And, uh, so, of course, I said he owes me some steak. So yesterday we had a Sunday school party at his house, and while everyone else was eating nice potluck meal and different sausages and stuff, I was eating steak. So Arnold has paid up for my letters of recommendation for his daughter. But this morning I want us to take a look at a section of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, where under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he uses letter writing as a metaphor to highlight the amazing work of God through the Lord Jesus Christ in individuals' lives, as we witnessed this morning in the baptism. And I want you to know that despite advancements in technology, you need to know that God is still writing letters. And I believe, as I was preparing this week, that God wants to write some letters on hearts of people this morning. Now, his letters are not written on paper or screens of computers or screens of cell phones. His letters are living letters, living letters. And nothing should bring us more joy than when God allows us to be a part of witnessing his story that he is writing in people's lives. Pastor Rick was right this morning, was very powerful in both services. I hope you understand the importance of what you got to witness this morning. You got to witness the God of all creation and the letters he has been writing of his love and forgiveness in people's lives. It is incredible. And just like 
I got excited with hope and anticipation to see Jen's handwriting on an envelope. Brothers and sisters from Calvary Baptist Church, we need to start coming with hope and anticipation of seeing who God is writing the letter in whose life and how we are going to be part of that. And that's the incredible thing. Not only do we witness it, but he actually allows us to help write some of those letters despite our incompetencies, despite our inadequacies. He doesn't need our help, folks. He doesn't need our help. It is a privilege that we have, that he invites us to come into his plan of redemption, of rescuing and restoring souls. He invites us to be a part of seeing and witnessing and actually helping write the messages of love and forgiveness on people's hearts. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to look at six verses this morning. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. My prayer this morning is that God will use this portion of His Word, His letter to us, to help us know and evaluate what it means to be hitting the mark as a church that longs to make disciples. Now, you need to understand the context that Paul makes these comments in this letter. He is writing to the believers in the city of Corinth. And Corinth was a Roman colony. It was supposed to represent Rome. It was to be a little Rome. And it was to promote and to put on display the Roman values of power, money, self-reliance, climbing the social ladder. And just like our society today, the society Paul wrote this letter in, the gospel that we present and the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul presented to the Corinthians was totally countercultural. It was countercultural. In terms of the religious uh, context of Corinth at that time, it was a polytheistic society meaning that the worship of or belief in more than one God or in many gods was the accepted norm. But remember how I started this morning. We go to God's word for what is true. This is our authority. This is where we go to find out what is true. Here's what the Bible says about polytheism. Isaiah 45 verse 5 says, I am the Lord and there is no other apart from me. There is no other God. For there is one God, 1 Timothy 2.5 says, and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Our society, you, you don't have to go very far or have a coffee or sit in a coffee shop to hear conversations. People believe, and we can watch as we see their lives unfold, that they think there is many ways to God. But the Bible says there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. 
and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. So because of this metropolitan trading center, all of a sudden people started to figure out how they could gain advantage in that culture. And so there was many traveling philosophers and uh, different religious teachers that would infiltrate the city of Corinth in an attempt to gain followers. Because if you gain followers, then you would gain fame, money, power, status, which were all high on the Roman value in terms of what is really important. And what became common practice, because these were people from outside the city, is that these teachers and these different messengers that would come, they would always keep with themselves letters of recommendation. They would carry with themselves letters of recommendation to authenticate and to give truth to the credibility of who they were and the message that they were delivering. And in this competitive market, similar to today, to gain an edge over the next guy, often these letters of recommendation were obtained through shady means. And as one commentator mentioned, even they were forged. How did Paul approach the people in Corinth in this culture where it's all about who you are and what you're able to do? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, this is how Paul came to the city of Corinth. He says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquent or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in my weakness with great fear and trembling. Wasn't that beautiful? We, we witnessed that this morning. One of the gentlemen in their testimony says, Weakness, fear, trembling. That's how Paul came to them. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You see, these teachers that were infiltrating the city were great orators, and they would use persuasive speech and persuasive talk to try and gain their followers. But Paul says, I came so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, Paul was not against these letters of recommendation. In fact, you can look in Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 22 when you go home. Before his conversion, he sought letters of commendation from the high priest in Jerusalem before he went to the synagogues in Damascus. Then in Romans 16, after his conversion, we see that he also gave commendations and recommendations of people that he was sending to different congregations so that those congregations would say, this person is credible. Paul has told us. We need to embrace them. We need to support them. We need to listen to their message. So then why in our text today does it seem that Paul has this apparent negative tone towards these letters of recommendation? It's because Paul is wanting to make a very clear point to the people in Corinth and to us today at Calvary Baptist Church in Oshawa that his credibility as a messenger of Jesus Christ was not to be found in his personal credentials, but rather the evidence of his credibility as a messenger of the gospel was to be seen in the transformed lives of the believers who made up the church in Corinth. I mean, the most complimentary letter he could possibly carry or present to anyone had already been written. 
Look what it says in verse 2. He's talking about the believers in the church. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 2, Paul says, Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal, you are the proof, you are the evidence of my apostleship, of my ministry as a messenger of the Lord. It was their lives. And that's why I got so excited this morning with the baptism. Because it's the transformation of people's lives that actually prove our credibility and our authenticity as a church that says we want to make disciples. Men and women in relationship with Christ as a result of God's grace, His undeserved favor. Through Paul's ministry, he said that in verse 3, you show that you are a letter from Christ. It's Christ's work. But yet Christ invites us and allows our ministry, which is really His ministry, to be part of the letters He is writing. So in light of Paul's comments this morning, presenting a letter of recommendation based on others' opinions of him or his abilities would seem to Paul and should seem to us to ignore or to undermine the power of Christ and the work of Christ in the hearts of believers in Corinth and in the hearts of believers we've seen this morning in the baptismal tank. So in light of these comments, I thought it would be good for us for a few minutes this morning to take a look at from these verses what I believe are three indicators that we are hitting the mark as a church that wants to make disciples. And the first evidence that we are a church that is making disciples and is credible should be evidence of transformed lives. Evidence of transformed lives. Over the last number of weeks, we have been opening God's Word and zeroing in on His command, which He said to go and make disciples. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptize them, and then teach them to obey everything I've commanded. We've been zeroing in on that. To reach out, to go fish amongst family and friends in our circles of influence who are spiritually dead to God, lost, without hope, not experiencing God's grace and mercy that we heard testimony of from the transformed lives of the five individuals we witnessed this morning. We've made intentional decisions as leaders to ensure that we are preparing and equipping you and ourselves for the task of reaching others with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the fall, we went through a series called Disciple Shift, presenting everyone complete in Christ, making sure we were burdened. Are we really doing what Christ asked us to do? Or are we just a busy organization on the corner of Roslyn and Ritson? We learned through that study that we are to be proclaiming Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom which comes from God, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. We followed that up in the spring with a series going through the book of Matthew to say, okay, if we are going to be a church that makes disciples, then we better make sure that we know what it means to be loyal to the king because we are following a king and his name is Jesus. 
And so we did a series through the book of Matthew on what it means to be loyal to the king. Then Pastor Rick and Pastor Nick have been doing a series on what it means to go fish. Let's go fish. Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. What does that mean? And then we were blessed as a church to host the Christian Life and Witness class from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association where we were trained to actually how do you begin a conversation with someone at work, with someone at my school, with someone in my family who is lost. So when you look at the things we have done, we would probably be commended. It's a pretty good resume. And to an outsider looking in or visiting today or listening, we would probably get some commendation for the decisions we've made. And in fact, as I sat at lunch and had pastors, I had lunch with pastors in Idaho from Seattle and Kentucky and Alabama and was talking about our church family and what God is doing here. And I told them the intentional decisions we're making in terms of making sure we're doing what Christ actually told us to do. They commended us. But at the end of the day, I was burdened this week. Like Paul, the evidence that we are following Jesus and fishing his way will be fish. It will be a catch. It'll be seeing new believers who have been rescued by Christ's love from lost and guilt and hopelessness to new life as we witnessed this morning with joy, peace, security, confidence. I mean, you tell me how a teenage girl can stand there who's lost both her parents in the last year. That's only the power of God living inside that lady. That's the, there's no human reason why she should be able to do that. But that's because what we have is supernatural. It's the presence and the power of Christ living in us. The proof that we are a church that is hitting the mark is that we should see new and growing disciples. A disciple is someone who knows God. A disciple is someone who is being changed by Christ, born spiritually, moving to a child, moving to a young adult, and eventually fully mature in Christ where they are now making other disciples. The proof of our grace-driven efforts here at Calvary Baptist Church to make disciples will not be found in what others say about us or our programs. Although the programs and ministries we have are vital to the mission. They are vital to the mission. And by God's grace, we have many programs and many ministries that God is using to get the good news out. But folks, at the end of the day, my point is, it doesn't matter what people say about our programs and about our ministries. If at the end of them, there's no transformed lives, new believers, growing disciples of Jesus Christ. Look what he said in verse 2. He said, you yourselves are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. The visible, noticeable work of Christ in transforming lives through our programs is the evidence. And that's why this morning I was so excited in the first service. I was just totally moved because I felt it was one of those moments where you just felt you were standing on holy ground because God just opened the window and he just blew my mind away of how powerful his love for humankind is. That he would be able to penetrate a country that says, no, God's love and God's message will not infiltrate our country. 
And yet his love is so strong for the souls of those that testified in the first service today that by God's grace, he allowed them to come to university in Oshawa. And by God's grace, there was a Chinese fellowship already established. And then by God's grace, some of them got hosted by some of our members to live in their houses. Do you think that's coincidence? No, that's how powerful and strong the love of Christ is for people. And now he's equipping Chinese missionaries who are going to go back and reach their own people. And you know what he's done? He's plopped them in our neighborhood. And he said, Calvary Baptist Church, are you ready to make disciples of those I'm saving? Are you ready to equip them and teach them to obey everything I have commanded? Praise God for the baptisms this morning. Praise God that he allowed us to witness this morning and to be a part of the letters he is writing in the hearts of those who were baptized. Praise God that through the ministries here at Calvary Baptist Church, God has invited us to participate in his plan to transform lives of people who were lost, squirreling, spending their whole lives just running after acorns, without hope, seeking so hard to find joy, peace, and significance in life, only to be left feeling empty and unsatisfied until they responded to his letter of invitation that he was writing on their hearts through the Holy Spirit to come and experience a personal relationship with Jesus, with Jesus Christ. Letters not written with an ink, Paul says. You know what happens to ink. Ink fades. I bet you if I open that shoebox, I guarantee you some of my cards that I wrote, Jen, I bet you the ink has started to fade. And I bet you in the move from BC and then the move from Whitby to here and from Queens to Oshawa, if water or anything spelt on, the, on that ink, what happens? Smudge right? Ink can be faded. Ink can be deleted. Ink can be blotted out. But that's not how God is writing letters on the hearts of people with ink. Paul says he's writing it with the Spirit of the living God. The heart written upon by the Spirit receives eternal life. That does not fade and cannot be deleted. You see, the false teachers in Corinth, when Paul was in ministry, their letters of recommendation were not signed by Christ. They were simply human power, human ink. But Paul's ministry was signed by Christ. In fact, one commentary said their lives and the lives we've witnessed this morning, transform lives, are living letters written with divine authorship, written by the Spirit of the living God, inscribed on living tablets, sensitive human hearts. What we witnessed this morning is a fulfillment of what is written in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 to 34. Listen to what the Bible says. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was, their though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's why I have no concern for Rebecca Clark. She is God's. She belongs to God. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You see, your personal story of God's transforming work in your life is so powerful. 
And it will be one of the best witnesses to others in your circle of influence that God is real and that He loves people. Because your story can't be debated or argued. Remember what He said, your lives are known and read by everyone. What do people know and read when they look at your life? What is it they know and what is it they read? If it's transformed, they should see God and God's love and grace all over you. There's a saying that says, the proof is in the pudding. And for this morning's purposes, I've said the proof is not in the pudding, it's in the people. Transformed, growing followers of Jesus Christ is a key indicator that Calvary Baptist Church is hitting the mark. But listen, only by His invitation, only by His grace, and only by His enablement. Three things, three indicators. The first is there should be evidence of transformed lives in our midst. We've witnessed that this morning. Secondly, a church that is making disciples Jesus' way, they know whose they are. They know whose they are. Paul came to know whose he was. You talk about a transformed life. Listen to how God wrote his letter in, in Paul's life. As you know, his former name before he was converted was Saul. This is from Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Isn't that awesome? Here's a murderer of disciples who God ended up transforming to be an incredible disciple maker. That's why I said, in spite of our inadequacies, in spite of our incompetencies, God can do amazing things. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters, the ones I was referring to earlier, to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you belong to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners in Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. What a powerful picture. Here's a guy who's on his own agenda, who's going to go and murder followers of Jesus Christ. He's being led by someone's hand into Damascus. Our God is stronger. Our God is greater. For three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. See, God was already beginning to write his letter on Saul's life. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority, with letters of recommendation and commendation from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But listen, those who are making disciples know whose they are. Listen what the Lord said to Ananias. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. 
Paul was simply a chosen instrument of God to proclaim his name. You see, until you know Jesus Christ personally, you are going to think you're it. And you're going to think you have everything. But God will find a way because he loves you to humble you so you'll come to understand whose you are and what your purpose for your life is. Reading those verses in chapter 3, verse 4, it says, such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Paul's confidence came through Christ before God, not in his own ability like all the other religious teachers and false teachers who infiltrated the city. Left to his own ability, Paul rec- realized, left to his own commendations and letters of recommendations that he was useless. Folks, we are useless and can do nothing apart from Christ. That's what it says in John 15. We can take no credit for the transformed lives that we witnessed this morning, even though God chose to use our ministry to bring these people towards himself. We can't take any credit. We t- can't take any claim or say, wow, look at that, aren't we great? Why? Because outside of Christ, we are competent of nothing that is going to be worthy of the kingdom of God. Our competence, Paul says, and I say to us this morning, Calvary Baptist Church, our competence must come from God. If you visit churches where God is bringing in new disciples, where they're catching fish, where you see infants maturing, and living victoriously and following Christ's commands, one thing you will find in those churches, you don't hear a lot of talk about themselves. You'll hear stuff like, God is amazing. We can't believe what God is doing amongst us. We can't believe he allows us to be a part of this. Calvary Baptist Church, let us make sure we don't talk a lot about ourselves, but let us make sure we talk a ton about our amazing God and Savior because he is great and he deserves all the glory and all the credit. He will make us adequate for the task he has called us. What were his words? Come follow me and I will, I will make you fish for people. You see, Paul's qualification, his competence as a minister of the message of Jesus, including the successes, which were the lives of the people in the church who were known and read by everyone, they were not sourced in his natural ability or his personal initiative. Rather, they were all part of God's divine enabling. I love it when I run into someone who is so confident in Christ, yet so humble. And I, of course, I love sports. Our family loves sports. One of the athletes I have a lot of respect for, and I love watching him play the game of baseball, is Albert Pujols. He is a gentle giant. This man is ripped. And he's a big, big guy. But you know what impresses me more about him? What impresses me is my grade seven son wants to read his biography. Because Albert Pujols knows who he is. Albert Pujols knows where his competence comes from. Albert Pujols knows where his gifts and abilities have come from. And I praise God for Albert Pujols, that God is using him to impact my son who loves baseball. Albert Pujols grew up in the Dominican Republic. Never did he dream that one day he would find himself rising to become one of the major league baseball's greatest players. You see, he was drafted 402nd. That's bad. Like, if you follow drafts on the radio, 
you usually hear the first two rounds and then baseball goes crazy. I mean, who gets drafted in the 402nd round? And it's not even on the news. It's not even on the talk shows. He was drafted 402nd in the 13th round by the St. Louis Cardinals. He doubted whether baseball would even be in his future. People said he wouldn't make it. He didn't have good letters of commendation or recommendation as a baseball player. They figured he would end his career in the minors. But after only a year in the farm leagues, Albert embarked on a storied career with the St. Louis Cardinals. Can I tell you something? I'm just going to take a time out in between a story. Can I tell you something that just excites me so much? What excites me is when I hear someone like John Mifsud, who you saw baptized last, who's only been a believer less than a year, asking me questions about going fishing for his friends. Wow. Folks, you don't have to wait many years to begin to go fish and share the love of Jesus with others. Albert Pujols was only in the minors for one year. But the nine-time Major League Baseball All-Star became the only player in history to produce 30 home runs and 100 RBIs each year for the first 10 years of his career and was elected Player of the Year three times. Along the way, he discovered something much more important than winning two gold gloves, much more than the Player of the Decade Award by Sports Illustrated. Albert finally found the answer to the question he now asks everyone he meets at first base. Whose are you? You see, here's a guy with a resume. He has full right to brag. He has full right to bring attention. I mean, he's the player of the decade. You won't see Albert Pujols bragging and boasting about who he is. But at the end of the service, you will see him brag and boast about whose he is. If we are going to be a church that is going to make disciples, we need to know whose we are. We are not competent in ourselves. But he has made us competent. And we give him all the credit and all the glory. Finally, the third point. A church that is hitting the mark in terms of making disciples know what they are. They know what they are. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if your life has been transformed, if you've received the love of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he offers through his death, burial, and resurrection, it says the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God. So we get no credit that we're here this morning. God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, if your life is being transformed by Christ, Josiah, Eric, Josh, Rebecca, John, you are all ministers of reconciliation. Anyone in this auditorium this morning who has had their sins forgiven and they have been moved from an enemy of God to a friend of God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are a minister of reconciliation. In our text this morning, the Apostle Paul says in verse 6, he has made us competent. Did you hear that? There's no need to fear whether you're going to be able to do the task because then you don't believe God's word. It says he has made us competent. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. I look at Graydon and Sarah here this morning, soon to be going to Africa, taking a big step of faith because they know whose they are. 
and their lives have been transformed by Jesus Christ. I have no fear about what Graydon and Sarah are going to do in Africa because they know that God has made them competent as ministers of a new covenant, ministers of reconciliation. If any of us go out, whether it be to Tanzania, whether it be to the college up the road, whether it be in our neighborhood, if we go out thinking we're going to do this in our own savvy wisdom, persuasive talk, we will fail. But the good news, brothers and sisters, it says he has made us competent. It's not debatable. It doesn't need to be argued. We just need to start being faithful and being obedient to what he has made us become. Ministers of reconciliation. Ministers of a new covenant established by God that provides the forgiveness of sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In Matthew 26, 28, when Jesus was having the last supper with his disciples, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. I encourage you this morning, if you are here and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is saying, come. Come, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And all that Christ has made available to us can become yours if, as we do in Romans 10, 9, says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be transformed. You will have his spirit indwell your life. You will have new life. And you will have the power to be able to live a transformed life that will be read by everyone at your work, that will be known by everyone in your neighborhood, and that God will use to begin to inscribe letters of love and forgiveness on others' hearts. Listen what Romans chapter 8 says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the key, folks. We've got to be in Christ. Because through Christ, Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. You see, folks, the salvation you have is not going to be recognized in your circle of influence if you're living according to your flesh. But if you're living according to the Spirit, you're going to live a life that's counter to the culture that you work in, that you live in, that you play in. And people will start to ask you questions. And when they do, you already know what the answer is. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. And do it with gentleness and with respect. We need to be a church filled with individuals and families that live by the Spirit if we hope to hit the mark of making disciples. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life 
and peace. And that's what you witnessed in the transformed lives of those in the baptismal tank this morning. You see, when God wrote his letter of love on Abu Puhl's heart, his life was transformed. And did you hear how it was transformed? I saw what they had, and I wanted it. Do people in our community, in our neighborhoods, and in our schools want what we have? Does the transformation that Jesus Christ so graciously has done in our lives, is it evidence to those around us? Because when it is, he will use you to begin to write his letter on someone else's heart. And then all of a sudden, he had perspective. He knew whose he was. I mean, this guy can brag about his stats, but what did he say? I give him all the credit. He keeps me humble. Not only that, he knew what he is. You heard him say, what I do off the field is more important than what I do in baseball. He is a minister of reconciliation and a minister of the new covenant, and it starts in his home with his own family and with his own kids. And then whatever platform God uses, he gives him the credit because he knows who he belongs to and he knows what he is. We have a couple in our church that I want you to pray about. Their name is Matt and Christiane Bowler. Matt is the chaplain for the Toronto Blue Jays. And a couple of weeks ago, he was running the service at the Rogers Center, and Albert Pujols from the Cardinals attended. And you know what? It was the same consistent message. He said, Calvin, I've never met such a confident, humble, genuine person. That's the power of Christ in us. I'm going to ask Jordan and the team to come. Are you good, Jordan, with that? Great. To come, and we're going to sing a song that declares what we believe. Jesus saves. God still wants to write letters. And you coming here today, maybe one of those steps where he's helping you to realize and he's tapping you and your heart is sensitive. Don't ignore the message you've heard this morning. God loves you. He wants to transform your life. He wants you to know whose you belong to. And he wants you to know what you are. And brothers and sisters, for those of us who are already saved by God's grace through Jesus Christ, my challenge to us at Calvary Baptist Church is if we're going to hit the mark as a church that makes disciples, and by God's grace, he's letting us see some evidence of transformed lives. That's exciting. That means let's make sure we talk about him and not about ourselves. Our competence is from God. Don't forget what you are. You're not just a chiropractor, Scott. Arnold, you're not just a custodian. Jordan, you're not going to be just a school teacher. You are ministers of reconciliation and of a new covenant. And by God's grace, he has made us competent.